Welcome to the Silicon Trail Podcast. My name is Michael, and with me is my co-host, Johnny. On the Silicon Trail, we discuss recent technology and business trends, and observe where technology is going with an eye for unmet gaps and potential opportunities. To, to win. That's, we're talking about winning here. This podcast yeah. is about winning. Excellent. Just my problem. Just build a whole company around my problem. Great lie for Best Buy. It's like tired of being a geek squad. I'm gonna go get the hundred million dollars that Zuckerberg probably buying around somewhere. You're telling me you become a unmovable blob of facts. Taken back by the two-year sentence for attempted murder for hire. It's it's a colorful group that they have. Uh, If you smell what the rock is cooking, that is. This episode was recorded on April 26, 2020. We'll give an update on COVID-19 and for our main topic, the gig economy. Yeah, is that a copper cup? That is not a copper cup. It's glass. Uh, oh, oh, it's just the tea inside. It looks like a copper cup. Yeah. Do you know copper has a has a surprising amount of anti? Uh, do you, you read this right? Like antiviral, antimicrobial properties. I have not read this. No. Yeah, a lot of bacteria just can't live on copper surfaces, so they actually looked. I'm not sure if it was the black plague, the bubonic plague, or the Spanish flu. Or sorry, black plague and bubonic, the same thing. But they found that people who were trumpet players because they interact with brass, which is part copper, and people who worked in copper who were coppersmiths were less impacted because they were constantly handling and touching copper, which is highly antimicrobial and antiviral. So, well, actually, I was going to say before that, how goes, how went your adventure at Costco? Okay, so since this situation has started, I've been to Costco twice, and I've attempted, mostly just out of curiosity to see, I went to a different Costco, and which usually has parking on the outside because uh, it's on the suburban side. Mm-hmm. But there was a huge block. So the first time I went to Costco, the, the, the line, I was there within the first hour. The line was down to the, second, the, the first parking level. And what day is it? What, what day was this? Like Monday, Tuesday, Saturday, Sunday? This was a Saturday morning. Okay. Yeah. I, I couldn't get a chance to go during the week. So I went to early Saturday morning. And uh, yeah, so everybody was lined up. You, in our Costco, you have the... You have the elevator, you have the stairs, but you also have the, what do you call it? The, what do you call the escalator? Just, not the escalator, just the flat ramp. So you can, yes, thank you, the ramp. So there's a ramp that takes you down to the parking the one. The legal parking thing two that level. buildings need for people who are in wheelchairs? Yes. But pe- or people who exclusively commute on skateboards. There you go, that one too. <laughs> or people who just walk, who just like to walk, right? Um, so everybody was lined up on the ramp. Uh, two meters apart. It was a good 20 minute wait. We got in and of course they were controlling who was coming in. But once you got in, it was just nobody really, of course for toilet paper they and, and paper towels, they routed you a different way and they blocked off a part of the store so that you could only go in one way, only grab one per card, card holder. Uh, and then afterwards, everything was just there, right? The, I went, the next time I went was two weeks later, also on a Saturday. I actually showed up earlier and 
it was the line was all the way down to the second parking level and we made a ue so that was a good solid 30 35 minute wait risking your life going out there getting something at costco you make it so dramatic uh-huh going out I, I, into I, I, plague infested british vancouver canada or Brit- listen, british listen we don't have a shelter Columbia, in british place order here we don't, we don't have, have a shelter in place we don't have a shelter in place order here Wait, Canada doesn't wait anywhere in Canada or just in British Columbia? I don't think anywhere. Well, I can speak for the rest of Canada. I can speak for BC. In BC, is it because social distancing due to population density is a fact of life for Canada. We have a population the size of California spread out across. What is it? Or what are we? The third largest country? The second largest country? Uh, the. I think we're second. It's Russia, Russia, China, and Canada, or it's Russia, Canada, and China. I don't remember. So it's Russia, Canada, U.S., China, Brazil, and Australia. I thought China was larger than the U.S. Apparently not. Hmm. But all right, news of the week. News of the week. What is our news of the week? But yeah, so this is a bit of a follow-up from last week. So we mentioned the the rise of Zoom, and we mentioned some of the traditional players in the video conferencing space, and some of them that have been around for a while. Of course, WebEx, BlueJeans, so on and so forth. Well, it has a no one has uh, seen the success of Zoom in isolation, and no one is not re- no one is just sitting there resting on their laurels when it comes to video conferencing. They're seeing this big boom of users, and they're all trying to move in. So there's a bunch of new rivals coming in to try to eat Zoom's lunch. Uh, some of the big names, such as Facebook uh, and uh, and the Google platform as well. Yeah, this article from New York Times just mentions that Zoom's biggest rivals are coming for it. In the article, they they talk about how you know, there's been a little bit of, uh, what would you call it? Jealousy, a little bit of bad feeling. Uh, a little bit of fear of missing out, is it? FOMO? FOMO? Yeah, FOMO. That, you know, Zoom is a company of the moment, and yet these guys have been providing their own versions of it for quite a while. And I think we, we kind of touched upon this a little bit last time, and I think what helped Zoom is just it's not very, very, very uh, focused approach. You know, with Google, you know, it had so many... Uh, Facebook, you know, Messenger used to be part of it and they removed it. They added a bunch of stuff to Messenger and then they like removed a bunch of stuff to Messenger, like to simplify it. So they're always continuing to play with it, right? Uh, but yeah, yeah, it is kind of shocking that, you know, how did Zoom get become the, the, the it moment, uh, the it it's company? 300 million users now. So somewhere, in this, that, somewhere in this ecosystem, there was the potential for a product to have 300 million people using it on a weekly basis. Yeah, that's, that's very impressive. The, so yesterday, I was catching up with friends over the course of the day. One of my friends, we went from WhatsApp to Zoom to Google Meet. And what I, what Sorry, I thought what is Google awesome, Me again? Is this the spread? It's a, it's a rebranded Hangout. Okay, so it's just, it's Hangouts. So it's yes. not voice. Hello, or Google, no. any, yeah, any of the other Google things. And you see, you speak to the confusion that is Google. I thought you said Google me, and I looked that up, which, I mean, come on, that's going to be the next Google product. I looked that up, and the only thing I could find was a song by, uh, was a song by Tiana Taylor. <laughs> oh, man. Why which is that's... Google me. It's the song. So it's Google Meet, you mean? Yes, Google Meet. Google Meet. Not to be confused with their future alternative 
Google Meet. Meet product, yes. Google yes, Meet. Yes, no, no. Yeah, and I think this is, this is part of the reason I, I said it'd be interesting to, to have an article to look at the larger uh, messaging, messaging communication ecosystem uh, because everyone has their own approach. Some have done obviously a better job than others. But what I wanted to say yesterday was I, I, you know, I went from a WhatsApp video call to a Zoom video call to a Google Meet video call. Google Meet had this one awesome feature that you could turn on captions. Oh, okay. and you could actually yeah, pick up. That makes sense. Google, Google's really good at uh, speech recognition. Yeah, it was very impressive. Uh, as I talked or my friend talked, or, you know, periodically we, we would each take extended periods to just talk. It was fascinating to see that entire paragraph of text show up with, you know, the, the question marks, the full, the full sentences. It would pick up when you, you've stopped saying a sentence and you start moving to another sentence. Because, you know, when you're talking, you don't always necessarily take those uh, expected breaks, those natural right. pauses. Yeah, so going back to the story, Zoom's biggest rivals, do you think this will have a dent? Do you think they'll be able to you know, take back a pie that uh, Zoom has taken? Because Facebook, uh, I don't know if we have another for Facebook, but Facebook also had uh, introduced their, you know, they're going for this virtual presence, right? Where with Messenger, they now have abilities up to 50 people can have right. a video chat. They're going after Zoom specifically. But they've also said that down the line, they'll introduce the same capability in Instagram, WhatsApp. I think those are the only ones. Yeah, so those two other products. So in addition to Facebook Messenger, you also have that available to others. They also extended WhatsApp's group calling capability from four to eight people as well. They also did something with, I think, Instagram that they well, let me ask a question something on, on desktop. Yes. For Facebook. So one of the things of Zoom is, I don't need to know who the heck is on my line. You're you're gonna come in, and that's one of the problems, of course, is Zoom bombing. I don't, I literally don't need to know who the heck is on my line. But Facebook, someone needs to be friends with someone. Are you gonna coordinate a fifty friend face uh, Facebook call? I thought one of the things they said is you don't need to have a Facebook account for the calling part. Really? Like you could invite because there's two parts to this, right? There's a the part where I want to have a conversation with you right? Which is mm -hmm. where the WhatsApp video calling, the, the messenger calling, like the one-to-one -one or within a group of people, right? But then there's also right. this other part of, of this conferencing, which is I'm going to have a discussion and open it up to people. And I just want to send you a link and you join. I thought in Facebook's announcement, they said one of the, for that part, you didn't need to have a Facebook account. I could be wrong, but I, pretty sure, I was pretty sure I read that. There's a phone number to sign up. <laughs> So I get your point. You, you still, with, with Zoom, which continues to be its advantage, is you don't need to have an account. I'd much rather give any of these tech companies my email than a phone number. Why is that? Phone? Oh, there's so much signal on your phone number. Your, first off, if your phone number exists in the contact list of anyone else and that someone else has allowed that contact access, it doesn't, now we know who you are. Uh, what else? Your phone number has your geographical location. There's a bunch of companies that have your phone number from you continuously use your phone number as a proof of identity or an ordering system when you go shopping online. So that gets sold to multiple different uh, areas and providers of data to marketing. How do you think spam callers find you? It's not all just going through an entire list of randomly generated numbers and calling. Your number is everywhere on the internet. Right. So let me ask you this question now. Having said that, do you think 
these new features from Facebook, these new pushes from Google, will they just end up giving the people who are using these platforms already more options versus attracting more people? Like, do they really think they're this? Do you really think this is going to have an impact on Zoom and Zoom's growth? Zoom's kind of damaged itself, but what do you? I mean, consider if you think about it, Google and Facebook both are in the billions of users. Zoom is in 300 million. In theory, I find it hard to believe that Zoom's user base is exclusively unique to itself. That there's no one that's using Zoom that doesn't overlap with Facebook's or Google's existing user base. So if anything, to me, this feels more just like them making sure there's something on their platforms. I mean, this is the typical company thing. Do they care about taking out Zoom? No, I don't think so. I really don't think so. I think they're just like, oh yeah, and we have an other. Oh, you guys have this cool feature. It's, it's, remember when Steve Jobs called Dropbox a feature, not a product? Yeah. This is, I feel this is similar. It's like video conferencing. That's a feature, not a product for us. We're going to make sure the feature exists on our platform. Gotcha. Gotcha. So it sounds like Zoom will, will be all right. Well, even my example yesterday, right? Like I said, I was on one on a WhatsApp call, on a Zoom call, and then on a Google Meet call. So I think it'll be there's there's more nuance to this. I, I agree. And I think mm-hmm. we should uh, follow up on it. Next story. Amazon versus its workers. Finally. I would argue Amazon's always been against its workers. Well, why do you say that? Well, let's see. There was how many Which workers? Which workers? Because it's all of its workers. You know how many, you know, remember that time when uh, someone jumped off the roof of Amazon? Did this was, well, actually, not not the time. There have been a multitude of times when an Amazon tech worker has done this. And I believe someone leaked internal messaging where some folks were making fun of him for not being able to execute on that either. Oh, really? It's like. It's pretty cold hearted. Uh, like this is this is Amazon that even within tech, and I know we're going to be talking about their their blue collar workers, which get treated even worse. But we hear story after story about this too. But on the tech side, this is Amazon that you know does the five fifteen, uh, what is it five no five ten, and then uh, what is it twenty five and thirty five or forty five or however the math works out in terms of your equity shares. So they're incentivized to get rid of you within two years because they pay you nothing in those two years in equity. What? Yeah. So you know, so you know how when you join a company, and I know you've been in the startup world for a while, so your shares are paper money, uh, not paper money, monopoly money. So when you join a company that actually has money and shares to give to its uh, employees, Johnny, you usually get equity in even grants. So you're going to yeah. get 25, 25, 25, 25. And right, right. Most, for each year. Yes. Every year. And at right. most. Uh, you have a one-year cliff for some companies. A lot of companies are doing away with that as well to be competitive. Amazon is not 25, 25, 25, 25. It's five, then I think 10, or maybe 15. I think it's five, 15, and then 30, 50. So if you stay to your fourth year, you get all of your... You get well, if you stay to your fourth year, you get all of it anyways. Right, right. But you're getting, in your fourth year, you get 50% of your equity. Yes, and Amazon's incentivized to kick you out after two years because they paid you nothing in those two years. Wow. Is this something you got from your friend or this is your interpretation? No, this is it? common. This is, this, is, this, is the, this is well known. This is, Amazon's, uh, this is Amazon's equity shares program. Interesting. Wow. It's like, I lived in Seattle. I know this. They give you a pretty high starting space salary. 
but your equity is nothing for two years. Right. But yes, but we're talking about the blue collar workers, which besides the fact that they're trying to replace them with robots, they work to, they work to the bone. So let's talk about that story. Well, the, the, the story here is that the white collar workers, uh, Amazon white collar workers are starting to stand up for their blue collar workers, which is what you said finally to. And yes. the tech workers, it was, they were trying to coordinate, events were deleted, emails were deleted, there's, back, there's retaliation against those employees that tried to organize or sent those emails, uh, or to try and encourage and organize a, a um, what do you call it? Today I'm having I'm a walkout words, a walkout and protest, right? And then when all that got kind of canceled and people were kind of shocked, the Amazon tech workers were decided to call out sick in protest over the COVID nineteen response. And so the COVID nineteen response is like there's been a stark contrast, right? For their their white collar workers, you know, the, the tech guys or in corporate, they've been sent home. They can work from home. But they're, of course, their blue work collar workers have to continue to show up to the warehouse and make sure stuff gets delivered. And unfortunately, what's happened is that uh, there's been several cases of COVID of folks contracting COVID nineteen, but not being told, right? Uh, and and Amazon apparently not putting in the proper procedures, not informing them, and so they're they've been trying to organize, and then there was backlash against them. They've been they got rid of. Uh, few of the organizers and they tried to pinpoint it on a few people uh, and so some of the articles are saying that some of these violations that people are being written up for happen every day but now they're be amazon's being selective in picking these things up in order to retaliate against them and now it's it's gone to their you know the white collar workers the tech workers right we're responding so yes they do go through workers on both sides pretty quickly but um, you know, engineers have options, right? There's other companies you can go to. Uh, do, do you, what is, do you, and there's, and there's a difference of course, between not giving you that much stock and having you have a table that used to be a door versus making you work 12 hours, 13, 14, 15, 16 hours of manual labor a day, stocking and restocking, boxing and moving boxes around on shelves. Do you think this is the start of something where there's a bit more, you said finally, right? Right. Do you think this is the start of something where people may not want to go back to Amazon or what I, do you th is there a ramification to this? I don't think there is anything. So I think it's, it's this very cynical outlook I have of it, which is people overlook the, the amount of value gain. And we talked about this a little bit in our privacy, but I feel that this is in general, a, a calculus that people do subconsciously which is the amount of value that is added to me by a service or a product makes me overlook a litany of problems that it does. For example, we, we, both, we both eat meat. We know how much water it takes to raise a cow. We know how much fertilizer and how much pollutants and all this kind of stuff in, in factory farming. We know the kind of treatment that that chickens have, or factory farm chickens, I know free range and all that's a little bit different, but factory farm chickens have, we've seen the pictures, the videos that people try to break in, but yet you will have to pry a cow, a, a cow steak out of my cold dead hands. Even here, where it's the same company, the tech workers don't work in the factory. They don't, we don't make them do a stent in the factory to say, hey, 
okay, great. You're starting on the, you're starting as a software developer. Guess what? We're going to make you do a day in the shift of the factory. You might not be that useful, but we're going to make you do a shift on that day to see what that's like to build an empathy for Amazon doesn't care about that. So this is more of a, in the moment we're going to protest, but once it's all over, we'll probably just go back to uh, building software and making silly money. Oh, sorry. They don't get paid silly money. We can't just right. clarify that. Gotcha. Yes. Unless they're around for four years plus. Well, I was, I was hoping that one of our news of the week would have some interesting ramification down the line that could set a trend. So I'm hoping the third one might do it. All right. The third one. All right. So Geo Platforms, company based off India. Uh, Facebook just made a $6 billion investment into that product. And for, the, uh, for a bit of context, Geo is kind of a communications. Uh, the, how would I describe them? Their, their communications. Their mobile their, telecom provider. Yes, their telecom provider. Their, it's, I'm trying to find an analog. I don't want to say Verizon because they're not nearly the size of Verizon. That's more like Vodafone and others um, in that area. But they have a small business initiative. They're, I think the best way that it was described online is Facebook bought them because they're a little bit like WeChat. And they want to build a moat around that in the general South uh, South Asia area against WeChat. Well, so, okay. So this is Facebook's way of entering the, continuing to enter the, the Indian market. It yes. Like uh, and of doing it, of trying to do it successfully because forget WhatsApp took over India before Facebook ever acquired it. Same thing with Europe and Africa really, but it, it went there before Facebook ever acquired it. If anything, the Facebook acquisition has not helped. It's, it's increased uh, adoption there. And if you also think about it, there's two reasons for that. Facebook also tried, Facebook tried to release payments in India. The Indian government stifled that for years. They also had their free basic initiative. Yes. Yes. The free basic initiative that India kicked out of India because it was non-competitive. Why? Because India is basically saying, and rightfully so, like any other country, we want to support the local businesses and the local initiatives so we can have money in our country, building up our country versus these uh, versus these companies coming from overseas and giving us nothing, not training our people, not allowing us to really raise up in our and kind of our, our thinking. So what does Facebook do? It goes in, it goes in and invests in one of these Indian companies. Right. So <laughs> they're, they're now gets now gets a foothold in one of a, in, in an established player in that field, which is a company from uh, that's native to India. It's not really I, I would compare this to when Yahoo invested in Alibaba. Interesting. So does this combination of geo with Facebook, because the big, the, the big inspiration here has been WeChat, right? Mm -hmm. WeChat, I think it's pretty much WeChat has taken a messaging platform and created an e-commerce and app ecosystem around system it, right? And everything. Yeah. Right. That's so all, WeChat is all I use when I go to China. It's a, you can order food. You don't talk to waiters. In restaurants, you scan a QR code and you order from your uh, you order from your phone on WeChat. In fact, getting a physical menu is weird in a restaurant. Interesting. So it's, exactly that WeChat has become the gold standard in where communications can go, right? Mm -hmm. If when you're looking at you know the WhatsApps, the Signals, the the Facebook Messenger out there, right? Yeah. They all have different spaces, but it's been it's been very clear for a while that Facebook has been trying to 
head towards the direction of in going into WeChat's space, right? I think that's how they started by adding a lot of features on Messenger and then started to then downplay it. They had their, uh, uh, their, their Bitcoin initiative. What was it called? Calibra? Libra. Libra. Right, Calibra is the, I think, the organization. So, Libra is the organization, Calibra is the product. Right. So, do you think this partnership is likely to be more fruitful? Uh, fruitful in what way? You mean well, fruitful in terms of actually not getting kicked out of India? By definition, yes. But what do you mean by fruitful? Well, this is really their, their way of, again, heading towards the direction of what WeChat is, where WhatsApp is very popular, but WhatsApp has not been really commercialized yet, almost anywhere, right? They're starting to a little bit here and there, but it hasn't been to the scale that WhatsApp is out there, right? But maybe this is their way of saying, okay, if we partner up locally, we can provide these additional services in India. Will they be able to build a WeChat for India? I could see it being successful insofar as that it keeps India using WhatsApp because already families on WhatsApp chat with your parents on WhatsApp, your parents send you fake news articles on WhatsApp and you have to explain to them, no, this isn't, uh, this isn't true. And, uh, <laughs> and so on and so forth. I, I could see that I see this as more of a defensive play than an offensive play. Interesting. Yeah. No, it's a, it's an interesting development. It'll, it'll be, well, we'll see, we'll see how, how it goes and what they're able to, to build on this. All right. Our, our main topic for today is the gig economy, which is suffering right now massively. Yes. yes. Uh, oh, so let's, let's talk about this. So we, we broke this down to the big players in the gig economy, some of the big uh, stories and events that happen and what we think is the future of the gig economy. And I did, uh, what was it? I did have something in mind that was relevant to this. Oh, yes, I did, I did a study. I believe, I, I not did a study, I read a study in which I believe they said in 2016, there was about like 20 or 30% of the eligible workforce of the workforce age in the United States had some form of independent on the side slash quote unquote gig uh, job, not necessarily Uber or Lyft drivers, but some type of temporary on the side job, a side hustle, if you will. Yeah. I mean, Uber has such an influence that, you know, for a while, I mean, even up till now, I found a page on product hunt that has a list of Uber for X products and mm-hmm. services. But yes, we have Uber, we have Lyft, both in the right. Do you have that? Do you have that company? Do you have that in the links? We yes. should include that in the links. Perfect. They're Perfect. all, they're all down here. Perfect. All the links have been researching. But yes, so we have Uber and Lyft in the ride-sharing space. We have DoorDash uh, in the food delivery space, along with Instacart, but different kind of deliveries. We have Upwork, which is more of a freelancing. We have Postmates, which is... What does Postmates actually deliver? It delivers food. It delivers groceries from local areas. It's kind of like DoorDash and Instacart together. There's so much overlap between these companies. Uh, Fiverr. There's a couple others like Grubhub. Yeah, Grubhub had merged. Grubhub's still around. Grubhub is still around. Yes, it's E24 that's gone. Oh, okay. They were seamless, but I think they merged with Grubhub and became one. Grubhub's a big player in this. In at least in Canada, Skip the Dishes is one out of Winnipeg. 
What is skip uh, the dishes? Same thing. Uh, okay. Meal delivery. Here we have skip the dishes. We have DoorDash. Uh, um, Uber. Uber Eats. Yep. Is coming to the space when we're talking about food. But the, yeah, I think these are the big the, some of the big players. The gig economy was really popularized around the height of the 2008-2009 financial crisis, where you know people were losing their jobs. They had a lot of you know time at maybe part-time gigs, right? The 2008-2009 crash ended up letting a lot of full-time employees go. And even though we recovered more jobs, most of the new jobs were more temporary part-time based jobs, which meant people had the opportunity to be more flexible and take up more side gigs. And that's what's kind of rise, given rise to that. In addition, there was also with the rise of mobile, mobile apps, you started having these, these companies that started exploiting and taking advantage of that, right? We, with Uber, hey, you have a car, I wanna get from here to there, I wanna have a personal chauffeur is what they started in. And then Lyft got into the ride sharing space and inspired Uber to pivot and, and add that. And that's now why we have the whole ride sharing. There was a couple others like Sidecar that kind of got demolished along the way. But very broadly, what the gig, uh, the gig economy encompasses workers who are full-time independent contractors, so consultants, as well as people who moonlight like by driving Uber or Lyft several hours a week. And just some numbers, according to Freelancing in America survey, there's 57 million American freelancers contributing over a trillion dollars to the economy each year. And this was from a Forbes article. AKA half of one bailout. Yes, AKA half of one bailout. And this was uh, just last year in October 2019, an article from the Forbes or Fortune. So given those numbers, and you, you had actually argued that you consider Airbnb as part of this gig economy. Kind of. Kind of. Kind of. Yeah. So, so what's the traits? Why, why do you, why do you push, why do you think Airbnb is part of this? The rise of the gig economy was really, uh, as you were saying, electronification and mobile apps and everyone having these systems making people realize, oh, we can exploit this type of model because in the past, and this, to go to your traits, in the past, if I want to get people around, let's say we wanted to start a company in the 90s and our whole thing is we want to get people around faster. In, a, in the quickest way possible. Okay, well, we have to go, uh, we have to go pay a bunch of money to get a taxi uh, service started. And all of our drivers need to earn that taxi medallion. And which means there's a labor force and there's a union associated with taxi drivers. And then there's that whole process. But with thanks to electronification, I can say, you have a car, as you were just mentioning, you have an app, you can drive people. You would have, you could drive people anyways, you drive your friends. The reason why I said, Airbnb kind of, I think about in this space, is I think of Airbnb as not quite the gig economy, but I think it's the, it's kind of the gig economy, except with a much higher barrier cost of entry. Because for Airbnb, for you to be in that space, you need real estate for a, for a particular purpose. You need the ability to either have a living room, a couch, a house, a guest house, an apartment, something. But where I would say it's coming in is if you look at the big real estate firms that are exploiting Airbnb for the purposes of jacking up rent because they know they can, they can furnish an apartment and then they can go out and Airbnb it and get more than most people will pay for rent and use that to jack up rent prices in an entire complex. 
So it's like, I would say Airbnb is more like the gig economy for rich people. Yeah, I think uh, if you look back to the history, I was reading the Wikipedia article on, you know, the gig worker, the gig economy. So really, the term comes from the music space, right? Where you'd have, mm-hmm. you know, you'd have a regular job, but if you're a musician, you gig. you're part of a band, you have a gig on the weekends. Um, and so stuff like, up, so I think the traditional version of side gigs was, you know, you either use your current skills or maybe you've learned some new skills and do something on the side, which is where the traditional Upwork, which is the oldest one, right? It didn't started, include TaskRabbit, I just realized. Oh yes, TaskRabbit is one that we should add, we should include. But which it, is literally the, hey, I want someone to do something. Literally yeah, TaskRabbit, yeah, so as we're mentioning, like this whole space is pretty broad, right? Everyone has a different space in it. But the point I was trying to make is with Upwork, which is the oldest one, right? 99 Elance was, was founded and then 2004 Odesk and then 2013 they merged and then 18 months later they rebranded as Upwork. So Upwork is, and I think Fiverr is like that, right? Where you can go online and you can, you know, augment or you have some small tasks, like someone wants to build a website, uh, somebody wants some kind of finance help, whatever, right? Which is where, that's been the traditional case, like even before the internet, right? If I wanted to do something on the side, I would do that, right? As a physical, like going in and gardening, going yep. and babysitting, whatever. You look at the white is, pages. Right? You put an ad on the white pages for like uh, odd works. Odd, odd, what was it? Odd jobs, like an odd jobs type of Ex- local corporation. Exactly. So there's a class of these companies, like I believe Fiverr and Upwork, that just brought that online. And that's what I would, I will argue is traditional uh, gig, right? Where it's just, hey, now we have the internet, let's use the internet to uh, broaden our scope and broaden our audience and who we can do business with, which is great. Right, but this then, has been happening, let's, let's make it happen faster. Exactly. But now you have this kind of expansion of the gig economy where, which is where I agree with you that I do consider Airbnb part of it because what you're now saying is, hey, you have this, resource that you're not using all the time that somebody else could use and pay you right so with uber and lyft it's okay you have you have time you're not driving but somebody else needs to get somewhere and instead of that going to these taxis that are centralized and controlled we can give you that opportunity right and so you now have flexibility to when you want to work and when you don't want to work and you can make some side income uh, the same thing with like the DoorDashes, the Instacarts, and the Postmates, where we're going to deliver something to you. We don't really care what it is for the most part, right. but we'll facilitate that. And someone can say, hey, you know what? I have time. I want to make some money, right? And I have a vehicle that I'm not really, you know, I have to pay and I can get in and do that, right? So, I mean, I think the argument people always make with Uber is, hey, your vehicle is a depreciating asset. So you might, you might as well actually make it a value asset. Right. So do you, do you still use Uber now? Uh, I use both. Well, not now, so, but. So I use both depending on where it is. So one of my credit cards is, gives me points on Lyft. The other one gives me Uber credits. Mm-hmm. So it depends on what I have on that day and where there's available. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing, right? So for example, here in Vancouver, they both came and when I arrived from the airport, I really wanted to get onto Lyft, but I, I just waited and waited and waited. And I was like, oh, I guess there's not, I'll just go take a taxi. Um, in some parts, uh, in, in, Bel- in Waterloo, Belgium, I ended up take, using Uber because that's what there was, there was no Lyft. So yeah, a big part of it is driven by 
where I am and who's available. But I do try to at least look at Lyft, uh, open the Lyft app first. I think their prices are pretty similar now. I think Lyft has always been slightly more expensive, but I think they're fairly comparable now. Well, it's all subsidized by VC money, let's be honest. Yes, all subsidized by debt now and VC money and, 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 fairy, and fairy dust and unicorn horns. So yes, speaking of, speaking of reality crashing to life, let's talk about some of the big stories, laws, and events such as AB5. Uber has had a controversial run. They've not been the friendliest company to, to work with. They've kind of stormed their way into into the different uh, cities. They had a very aggressive push. You know, again, going back to the VC funding, they were funded by SoftBank, billions and billions of dollars. They were the bigger player. They went global really quickly, and then they ended up preceding it. But they've had controversy throughout their entire history, which yep. led to their founder slash CEO, Travis uh, Kalanick, stepping out. And I think earlier this year, he stepped out of the board completely. And I, oh, I don't yeah. know if I... I think he pretty much sold all his Uber stock, if I'm not, or most of it. So, and then he has his new venture, right? And uh, so Uber's always been controversial. Lyft has had its own set of controversies as well, but it's usually seen as a nicer brand. I can't, um, DoorDash, Skip the Dishes have their own set of controversies related to, uh, um, well, this is applies to everyone, but they have a whole... single one of these gig economy products that don't have terrible controversies associated with them. No, that's true. That's true. Um, right, like, right now, even the, more the... than normal. I mean, usually to have this type of controversy, you have to sell tobacco to children or you have to be like a gigantic company like Amazon, Google, Facebook. Yeah. They've all had their issues, right? Was a tipping, not allowing tipping. Now there's tension for the for the meal delivery ones between the restaurants, right? Because they're taking such a huge chunk, especially in this uh, current crisis. There was, the there was the danger and the killings that happened around there. And then also drivers not being paid enough. So right. this is where the big story that we have is Assembly Bill 5, which came into law in California January 1st, 2020. Uh, this didn't was- didn't apply to Uber. And didn't apply the to Uber, Uber bill that didn't apply Lyft to Uber, yes. Or, or Postmates, they're fighting it. But the, the, back, the quick background on this is there was a lawsuit by Dynamex. It had workers that it classifies as independent contractors or actually drivers. And so the California Supreme Court found that its workers were misclassified as independent contractors rather than employees. And it set the groundwork for AB5, right? And so the, the court put the burden on Dynamex to provide drivers who are not employees by using what they call the ABC test. The ABC test is A, worker is free from the company's control. Well, yeah, because if you're arguing that you the worker comes and goes, you, you, you can't exert control over him. B, the worker be, performs work that isn't central to the company's business, right? C, worker has an independent business trade occupation in that industry. And they put that onus on Dynamics, so the, the, the employer, to, to prove that, right? Um, and so then this is the origination that led to the Assembly Bill 5 law. Um, and now, you know, the companies are fighting it, as you mentioned. Um, like, does, my question is, does AV5 actually apply to any big company that it was meant to apply to? I keep, I'm starting to see a theme here where these laws, from a publicity standpoint, are aimed at these larger companies and yet they end up having no effect 
but end up affecting the smaller companies that either end That's up allowing like the bigger layoffs. companies to, to thrive up even more. Right. But it, as I was researching the assembly bill five law, one of the things I found that was interesting is that some of the drivers were not happy around this law because they were afraid that it would take away their flexibility. Right. Mm -hmm. So some people enjoy this flexibility. I think this, yes, I believe they said it's somewhere around 60% of people who are, this is old data, but I believe it was 30 plus 30. Don't do it out of necessity to yeah. be in the, in the gig economy. I mean, the part of the other background to this is that there's been growing ten tension between the drivers and Uber drivers and Lyft, but even across the other board, because there's different kinds of Uber for X companies, the ten there's been tension between the, the drivers, sometimes they're cyclists and the company, right? Because the companies don't want to treat them as full-time employees and give them the benefits. And the, then the workers aren't making enough. Right. right. Like, I think there was the time when by Uber definition, they can't Lyft, unionize either. Exactly. Uber and Lyft used to pay decently. Right. But then, you know, they kept the amount of money that they were paying the drivers went less and less and less to the point that now we've, I think if you calculate it and there's several metrics out there, they say that they're actually paid uh, under the, the minimum wage. Mm -hmm. They count for everything. And the other worrying thing is that like, for example, Uber got into the space where they would, encourage and finance uh, drivers to buy new cars for the yep. sole purpose of being full-time uh, Uber employees. But going back to the law, Uber and Lyft and Postmates, they're, they're retaliating. I think Postmates and Uber sued the, 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 the government of California. Uber and Lyft are negotiating for an alternate class of worker. So this is their, their way of getting around this, where it's a contractor with added benefits. <laughs> I would say this, I think within the folks that are drivers and, and you know, the, the people at the heart of this, there's different gr groups within them, right? There's folks, yes. as you said, that aren't, that are just doing this because, Hey, you know what? I have time. I'm a student. And, and, and you know, when I'm not studying, I want to make a little bit of side income. That's, there's that group. Then there's a group that have vested in this and, you know, they bought cars and they're going in this full time. Right. So why then I know they're not going to do this, but why not? split that up where they say, you know, if you were just doing this because you want to and you have free time, then we'll treat you one way where you don't get the benefits because you're just doing this for fun. But then there's those that want to do it full time that could get that added benefits. I mean, and the flip that, of course, the companies can say is, hey, they were paid for all of this. Now, were they paid what they're worth? No, but no one was paying them what they were worth. So no. it's like, hey, you may be worth, you know, $20, $30 an hour because of these essential services you provide. No one will pay you that, take this $5 an hour. Because no. literally it's this or zero. You also see the same behavior here where, right? Like with Uber, you have your white collar tech workers mm -hmm. who are building the algorithms and infrastructure, right? From a tech perspective, they're doing some really fascinating work. And then at the same time, they have these blue collar workers that over, over time, they used to be paid decently at the beginning, which is what got them started. And the whole promise of flexibility, uh, you know, everything was on Uber's time, right? Uh, the, the app would change, uh, you know, they, they had a lot of conflicts, they stopped paying them as well. So there's been this growing tension there, but you have then the separation of white collar workers and blue collar workers. Uh, I just think it's interesting that, that uh, similarity with Amazon we were talking about earlier.
Mm-hmm. Um, it's like yes, it's uh, it's the class divide in in uh, one single company. Legit you know, question: but, How many people do you think work in Uber as employees have ever been have ever tried out their product from a driver standpoint? Oh, like been drivers themselves? Yep, even for a single day. I mean, it's one thing. I mean, you can you can say, hey, Google and Facebook, you guys are, and even Apple, you guys are soft, or you guys are software services. And like, for example, if I stuck an Apple employee into a factory, they're gonna mess up the iPhone. So you can say that that is kind of an irrelevant uh, comparison. But Uber, Amazon, Lyft, uh, Airbnb, to an extent, sure. But like how many of the people who become employees to these companies, usually in their tech departments, but of course also marketing sales, have ever spent a single day doing the job that actually brings in the, what that actually makes the service work. Heck, how many Amazon people have ever been to a warehouse? I would even, I don't know, I, find, I don't even know if I could put more than uh, a handful. I, I could even count. Maybe someone might have tried it and say no, but no, I don't think so. I mean, um, it's like, I don't expect, I have no expectation that everyone who works at Uber even has a car, but I'm, I'm feeling that they've probably never even, most of them, have, majority of them, have never even tried it a single time in their lives. Which, hmm. from a product manager standpoint, my side is like, how can I be a product manager of a product that has a driver's side if I never put myself in the shoes of the driver? Especially when the barrier of entry is so low. It's not like I'm making a product for something I can't use. It's like not like I'm making a product for octogenarians right now. Therefore, I, the only way I can really uh, understand their use case is just talking to them because I can't experience it myself. I can approximate what hearing loss sounds like. I don't feel it myself. Driving a car, driving someone, that's something super easy. As long as you have a car, you can go do that. You just install the app and that's it. Well, going, going back to, that's the other controversy, right? Going back to something we've touched on during Zoom is that these companies are so focused on growth that they want to have as little friction as possible. So even on their driver's side, they haven't done a good job of vetting and doing, I think now maybe they're doing, I think there's something to, are they really doing enough, right? So even, yes, there is a process. I don't even think that process is that much. It's not great. I mean, literally they, they care more about the quality of your car uh, then I, what's it called? I was the shadowing the driver. Yes. I was shadowing someone through one of these processes, uh, way back as someone was going through it. They, and I read like what happens in one of these and they look at your car and they care about the quality of your car more than they care about the quality of you. Right. Right. So l- l- let me ask you this, right? I know we've been focusing a lot on Uber and Lyft, but the other ones also have issues as I mentioned, right? Yes. Like with, Skip the dishes and DoorDash. Oh, DoorDash it's a story a huge... that it's a story I've been sitting on for a while. Did you know that? And this is such an easy feature to fix. Did you hear about this thing where people were lying on tips with Instacart? So they would say, "Hey, here's my order, yeah. and I'll give a fifty dollar tip." And then after they gets delivered, they remove the tip to like a cent. No, if not zero. Yes, I did see that. I did see that because because you as a customer, you have a few days to change your tip. Yep. I know with Starbucks, the Starbucks app is, is different where after you leave, like if you, you know, you've tapped on your phone on the app, you can after you leave, it gives tip. you, it gives, yes, it gives you a few hours to add a tip, but yep. I don't think once you add a tip, it'll say, oh yeah, but you have a few more hours to readjust it. Yep. 
Yeah, that's yeah, that's that fun. is messed up. And that from a feature side, the moment you hear someone does do that, it's like, okay, time to turn that feature off. I'm not sure if they have. But the moment you hear a new story like that, it's like, what? This has happened? One person's come back? Well, that's stupid. Let's turn that off. Oh, right. Well, the, the reason that we're talking about this is that, uh, as we mentioned, the gig economy was really popularized 2008, 2009. So we've had over a decade of this mm -hmm. massive growth of the traditional ones, then the app and mobile-driven ones, right? Yeah. There's been this um, trend right? Driven by apps and mobile and, and the, the reach of the internet, that if you have some additional resource that you're not actively using, then you can use that resource to serve somebody else, whether it's delivering food to them, it's delivering them from one place to another, it's providing them housing when they travel, right? So it's, it's opened up a whole bunch of stuff. But now with COVID-19, uh, the pandemic, no one's traveling, everyone's staying home, Many places have a shelter-in-place order. Uh, the airlines are pretty much collapsing. So no one's traveling to a new city and taking Uber or Lyft. Mm -hmm. uh, so even here, there's been a difference, right? Some companies are suffering, like Uber and Lyft. Uber, not uh, because they have Uber Eats, has probably pivoted to that, even though they got rid of the person who was in charge of Uber Eats earlier this year. Um, and but then of course DoorDash and Skip the Dishes and Instacart and you, you said you're using HelloFresh are probably getting yep. a massive boost right now because everyone is probably ordering. I have co former colleagues that would never go to the store, but they would order uh, through, you know, I think Walmart has its service and some of the local guys here have their service. So COVID-19 has obviously had a massive impact, but for some of them positive, some of them negative. What's your, what's your take? But yes. Yeah, so I would say this, and I was trying to look up something, but I, I just can't remember what it was called. But so COVID-19 has surfaced a bunch of things. I'm trying to think in a post-COVID world, which one of these no longer survive or which one, how, what's the impact of some of these? Well, okay. But this is, if you're saying post-COVID is this once we get over and then there's vaccines or some solution to it that everyone can be okay or have some. Yes. Kind of I think immunity? it's going to be, I think it's going to be a while. I think the memory of this is going to, the, the memory of social distancing and social isolation is going to stick with us for a while. So yeah. because of that, I see some habits that are built during this time continuing during this time. Right. Uh, so not going to grocery stores or crowded indoor places, staying at someone's house, I don't, uh, I don't see that recovering very highly. Getting into a car with someone, uh, I think there's enough necessity because taxis that have been around before this, they'll be around after this. I think there's some necessity to the Uber and the Lyft where they'll be fine overall, or at least one of them will be fine. But I, I question, like I, I question most Airbnb actually. So TaskRabbit, Upwork, Fiverr. I don't think they're overly impacted by it. I just, they're just, in fact, they might be doing better because there's less dispensable income for me to hire employees to do these type of things. Right. That makes sense. Hmm. Like what made the old, I think we're, we've broken down the classifications. There's the specialists and there's the odd jobs. What made the odd jobs necessity throughout the history of odd jobs in, in society, I think has only, is only going to continue to exist, if not increase in a post-recession, post-COVID caused kind of economic downturn. Right. I think it's the behavioral changes that COVID has caused that potentially run directly in counter 
with some of the business models of these companies. Uber to an extent, Airbnb, I think, to much more. So <laughs> this, is your, this is your way of saying Airbnb is seeing uh, its uh, apocalypse and its end. I would which is, not want which to is, bet on Airbnb right now. Which is super ironic because, you know, the, the working, I mean, it wasn't a theory or a rumor, but it was an understanding and expectation that they were going to go public this year. They were actually profitable versus, mm-hmm. I don't think Uber, I think Uber has been profitable at the one time when they sold part of their business to Didi in China, which yep. gave them a, a momentary surplus. I think they've been losing money. Lyft has been losing money. Uh, I'm not even By sure. By the way, I didn't realize the DD app in China is actually just Uber like 1.2 or something that's just been reskinned and added features onto the um, English DD. I didn't oh, realize right. that. That would make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't, Postmates, I think, is still a private company, or is there not? I know here they, they have an office here, even hiring people here. Um, oh, revenue 1 billion. Okay. So, okay, so if you were going to make a prediction, mm-hmm. you would say Airbnb would probably not survive us. Who else would, I would not say survive us? They're, they're, they're the ones that I would have on my risk profile. The second risk profile I'd have is either Uber or Lyft. I feel one of those is, I feel, and I, and I think they'll, honestly, I think they'll be both fine, but I think on the risk profile standpoint, the idea that we can have two big companies in this, in this space, mostly in the same area, might be a bit challenging. I think DoorDash has had its issues. Anyone that's economically troubled is going to become more economically troubled. I think DoorDash had its issues, but I, it, uh, I think Instacart is okay. Uh, I think it's Instacart's going to grow from that. So I would just generally say if there's any financial troubles in any of these companies, those are the ones I'm concerned about. And the ones that are most changed by behavioral changes due to COVID, those are the ones I'm most concerned about. And on the risk profile, if I were to look at that intersection, I would say Airbnb, and I'd say one of the Uber or Lyfts are the ones that I think are at greatest risk. doesn't mean all of these will fail or any of them will fail, in fact. But if I were to assess risk profiles, I'd put those three and uh, in squarely in the areas of which there is risk. So we're going to make you the CEO of Airbnb. What would you do? What? Why Airbnb? <laughs> One, I wouldn't because... have such gaudy meeting rooms. <laughs> they have because... meeting rooms which are designed behind like some of the best Airbnbs around around the world. It's really beautiful. But me as a person who likes sterile environments with glass and like black and white paint and metal tables, it just irks me. Um, corporate America has, uh, has uh, adjusted you. What do you mean corporate America? I liked this before I ever worked. <sighs> Fair enough. But it's much, it's much I, easier I sh- to clean glass <laughs> than it is to clean wood. I don't disagree. I shared that article with you that, that Airbnb has a plan for when this is over. And they're, they're, their thing is, they're pretty sure when this is all over, people are going to hit the road right away. And you and I have had this discussion. Hotels. Where I said that even if they reopened it all, mm-hmm. right, like parts of the states are so eager to do, um, I don't think everybody's willing to just go out there and do certain things. Like even yeah. if all the hotels open up tomorrow, who is going to travel and go to a hotel? Well, exactly. But I think I go further, which is first, no one's going to go anywhere and go to a hotel and no one's going to stay. Second, I think our national parks are going to see a much a big increase in uh, in traffic because of this local national parks, which I think is great. I'm not going to go anywhere. Then I'm not going to go anywhere 
and uh, and stay overnight. Then when I do stay overnight, I'm going to like the a, a legitimate hotel. So motels, bed and breakfast, bed and breakfast, small bed and breakfast. They may be in trouble because they were always sketchy to begin with. You're always concerned because of security and cleanliness to begin with, and then it'll be okay. Only after that entire period of nervousness and fear and recovery goes through, will people want to start staying again in other people's homes. Ironically, it's actually the motels and smaller uh, hotel chains that are seeing people coming in and staying there and not the luxury or the more expensive hotels probably in a city. And the reason for that is because most people, maybe because of their job, are not able to go home. So now they have to self-isolate somewhere. And so right. it's, it's, it, you might as well self-isolate at a relatively cheap place to self-isolate. Right, that is a good um, point. So it's not that the entire hotel has collapsed. It's uh, you know the luxury that you know the ones in the city have probably the Hyatt, nobody. The Marriotts, the the what are the whatevers. Exactly, and but the you know the small motels chains are seeing decent demand apparently. Yes, if you're going to quarantine, you want to quarantine for under a hundred dollars a day if possible. So I was going to say so. To go back to your question you brought to me earlier, which is if I'm CEO for one of these companies, how do I strike this balance? And Uber, I think I'm telling you, Airbnb. If, if I'm you CEO for one of these companies that I don't think is doomed, how do no. I strike this balance? What would you do if you're Airbnb right now? If I'm, one of, if I'm the CEO of one of these companies that I don't think is doomed, how do I strike this balance? So we, you just basically close shop at Airbnb? No, 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 no. But, but like on a serious note, here's the thing, right? With like Uber, they have Uber Eats. With Lyft, they're mm-hmm. kind of pivoting, right? And they're Uber um, uh, actually created a Oh, yeah, uh, actually for channel. Airbnb, they, they've already started doing this. I get into an events business, uh, which is, it's- I'm, There's no I'm events. Yes, I do in like an events destination, which they always started trying to do. But uh, which there's is, no events. Sh- I mean, when I'm recovering from this, Johnny. But what would Lovely. you do for this year? Everybody else is pivoting and finding a way to survive. You're the CEO of Airbnb. What are you going to do? <laughs> uh, let's see. It's okay, to, it's okay to say there's nothing to do. I just uh, want to know. Let's see. There is no, no. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Let me think about this. Let me just, legit, I had a different point about something else, but let me legitimately think about this. Okay. I think. Because I don't have anything for them. I figure out how to house first responders in an excess Airbnb, an uh, excess empty Airbnbs that I go and make sure are, are clean. And Actually, hotels are already doing this. But yes, so, so, okay. so you have validation. Your idea has validation is what I mean. All right. All right. I get but, good but PR I mean, from this. No, because I think uh, on a serious note, I think Airbnb's big business was from people traveling, right? Mm-hmm. And their best bet is to essentially look at what the hotels are doing, right? Mm-hmm. And the hotels are opening up their shops. Um, I think in Vancouver, they're moving some of the homeless people there big homeless population here. I don't know what they're doing in San Francisco because San Francisco also has a big homeless population. But the other hotels have been opening up their places for essential workers, for doctors, for folks to rest. So they've been doing that. The only controversy or the only issue that that Airbnb has is um, the hotels own their property, which lo and behold, becomes an advantage in this scenario. 
for the Airbnb. They can't just go to someone's private property and say, hey, we're going to put a house homeless people in that place. That's exposed to COVID-19 on a regular basis in your, in your house, right? That is a good point. But yes, this is something to do. Now, I think the final point I have on this is you were mentioning before, hey, if you're a CEO of one of these companies, how do you strike the balance? Yeah, um, but you have to pick the, the company. It can't just be any random company. Some of these companies are doing really well. No, no. So hold on. CEO of any gig economy. Uh, company specifically on the balance and the exploitation side of things okay uh would you do anything differently i would say this which is it kind of depends on what model do you think will win if growth at all costs is what it needs to win because i was looking this up there was an uber competitor that came out i just don't remember what it's called anymore but there was an uber competitor that came out years ago and part of their thing is what sidecar no 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 it was something different i had the unique name and part of their thing is they would give drivers, if they drove enough for their company, equity in their company. Mm-hmm. And it failed. So they were trying to do the whole, hey, drivers aren't just uh, our exploited workforce. They're our partners. And I'm not sure how much the drivers had to do, but effect, I'm not sure like if they had to drive like 10,000, uh, 12,000, whatever, whatever thousand many rides or whatever, it may have been very tough. But they gave them this path to becoming, uh, to becoming partners, if you will, in this entire, and I'm sure maybe class B or whatever, but partners, they failed. I don't think they're around anymore. I think I, I, think I saw the article a few years back where it said they failed. Well, and why okay, they, they failed? Well, they couldn't compete on price. They couldn't get, there wasn't enough people downloading and using it. And because of that, the drivers who wanted to be on that platform wouldn't because they weren't getting any traffic from that. Why not? Because Uber and Lyft came into a town. They came with all of these different uh, coupons and different things to get users and they grew at all costs. So my question is, if it takes growing at all costs to just to survive and, and just to be in a space where you're not even necessarily a winner, but you're a survivor in this space, then I think exploitation will continue of the workforce. If Well, exploitation is going to be there always. Sure, sure. But like the, the type of exploitation that we see today will continue to be there in the workforce. If, however, there is some type of massive change with COVID, and this is why I want to wait until the end of this point, which I'm not certain there will be. But if there was some type of massive change in how people interpret or believe uh, the gig economy to work or how they want to interface with it after COVID-19, maybe that creates a difference. But I think as we we're just seeing it, I don't think there will be. So if you're a CEO, how do you strike this balance? I think you still try to grow at all costs whilst you're, while you're, if you're looking at a gig worker compensation, you're still looking at it from a competitive advantage standpoint. Unfortunately, not from uh, as bad as to say a human quality of life standpoint. Yeah, it's unfortunate. It is unfortunate. But yes. Well, for more fortunate things, idea of the week, Johnny. Unfortunately, this week, I don't have any. Oh, no, that's not true. That's not true. I have an idea. I had an idea. I had an idea. You're going to create um, Homejoy, the failed home cleaning marketplace company. Yes, Michael. I want to solve your issue where you don't have to clean after you made a mess in, in the Excellent. Kitchen. Excellent. Just my problem. Just yes. build a whole company around my problem, specifically. Yes. We're going to go get that $100 million that SoftBank is probably waggling around somewhere. Now, there's like this one company's got to clean this one person's house. It's going to scale. 
you get personal treatment. Yes. Well, no, you give them personal treatment, personal care. You, it's basically their own, their own personal, uh, uh, what's it called? Butler and maid service. Right. And the, you scale it with them. And this has been tried. It's called Alfred, I believe. And it failed. Oh, right. Right. Okay. My idea is this. I was, I'm part of the Facebook developer circles for Vancouver. Yep. Uh, I'm, became officially a technical colleague. I got my application approved. Yay. Um, but I was, we were having a video chat with, uh, you know, the person at Facebook that is responsible for North America. And it was me and my other colleagues and her, and we were chatting and we were talking about, you know, with the reality that everything moved online, I'm pretty sure Facebook publicly already said this, but until June, 2021, no, everything will be virtual which is yep. part of why they're pushing all this virtual presence stuff. But, and we were talking about like, okay, with meetups, the whole point of the dev circle was to create these um, uh, community of developers in each of the different cities and you know, across the world, in this case, in North America and here in Vancouver. Uh, so they'd have meetups, they'd have like workshops, they'd have people come talk about different experience. And it caters to a wide range of people, right? Like people trying to get into their first job, experienced developers, the whole gamut. But now with, with COVID-19, the reality is we have to host everything online. And we were talking about it, and I got one idea. One of the problems with, with like the Zoom is when you're in a group environment, like when you're you know, like in an office together, you don't just have one person speaking and everybody listening, right? Right. Oh, okay. Um, keep you, going you, with this. I have a somewhat of a similar idea, I feel, but keep going. So, and this is what I think... Uh, Mark Zuckerberg kind of mentions uh, in some of the limitations of this. But I was thinking like, you know, if you're doing a meetup with tech workshop and you want people to collaborate, right? So yes, you might start with like a short presentation and say, hey, we're going to build this, right? Some React app, whatever. Um, and you go through that. In, in, in a, when I've hosted these meetups before, you have some people who know more than others and they're able to help each other. Right. Mm -hmm. And maybe the main person or the main folks will walk around and helping different people and folks just get to do their work or chat with their neighbors in a zoom call to the best of my knowledge. You can't do that. You can't nope. have like everybody be part of a call, but then be breakout where I can go talk to that person because he's having a problem. Right. So I was like, how do you solve this problem? Right. I bring up zoom, but it doesn't have to just be zoom. Right. But, and my point is it doesn't, have to be a maybe it is a brand new product but how do you build on top of these guys where you know like google and all of them are now taking inspiration from zoom like now at google also has the gallery view right where you can see all the different people on the call but there's still this issue that one person only one person can be speaking at a time but there isn't this opportunity to break people up into smaller groups and how can you facilitate that because this is our new reality for the foreseeable future. Well, I go, I go further with it because the really what's jarring if one person speaking at a time is that's not natural for even a meeting, yeah. right? Forget working in groups. That's not natural for a meeting. However, I would say this, which is then to answer your question, I have a further idea of this, but you know, what's one technology that's existed for over 13 years now. And I'm amazed is not utilized more for enterprise purposes. Surround sound headphones. That Adobe released in 2000 and that technology Adobe released uh, digitally in like 2007 or 2006. 
And what that is is, have you ever, and, and it's, it's enabled in all of the sound cards that have been released in the past like 10, 15 years. But what it is is it gives you the ability to play a sound in headphones as if it's coming from behind you. So what's interesting, most people don't even think about this, when you're hearing, and I remember hearing it once, like 13 years ago, I'm being amazed. And it was, I was just on an old MacBook Pro from 2006. That's how old this technology is. But there's the ability right. through a surround microphone. And this was, this was a limitation at the time. So they had this podcast, Leo Laporte, like uh, This Week in Tech, one of the earliest podcasts on the, Apple, on, on the Apple iTunes store. But what they did was they had the surround microphone and they had people sitting around. And he was like amazed by this technology. And he would just kind of like talk around this microphone. And you could hear him in your ear as if he were in front of you, then behind you, then to the side of you, then all of this. It sounded like a it sounded like a real person, and of course, the thing about meetings is it's built for single person. But what I was saying is, you could have multiple people talking, but the problem is when they're all equal in their sound, it doesn't work for a meeting standpoint. But in a real meeting room, you're not all equal. You're sitting around a table. So what if you were to apply uh, surround hearing and just say, okay, we're going to create a table, and you're gonna we're just going to put the people around this virtual table because now this technology is possible. You don't need a special microphone to do this anymore. Just put these around a virtual table and then it'll be like we're all in one room and we can all start our talk at the same time without one person's audio dominating or two people's audio being exactly the same for priority. Because right now it's all the same priority channel. That's a very interesting idea. But yes, but I had another application for this. Did you see, I know you don't follow the sports quote unquote, as you call it, but did you see the NFL draft? I did not see the NFL draft. I heard it got a lot of views. Yes. So because it had to be all virtual this week. So what it was, was basically Roger Goodell, who's the, who's the uh, commissioner of the NFL. And he was basically in his basement and he was reading off the draft picks, but something interesting at the side of him, I think this was, this was either on zoom or some other type of enterprise app, but inside of him was this big television. And what they did was they had fans of the actual uh, team on the screen so it's like a huge grid of the fans on the screen and they were like cheering as they as these draft picks were had because usually what happens in the nfl draft it's in either the music studio radio hall back in the day i believe this year it was going to be in las vegas but the idea is there's a huge crowd a huge audience that is that is there for this so they sort of simulated that so it got me thinking on this point all these sports leagues are going to exist a while with no crowd and can you create a situation where you can recreate a crowd using technology? And it would have to be, you'd have to have hardware, software, both involved. And you'd have to have like a payment system. You have to have security. So it's like, basically, can we somewhat emulate the experience of being in a crowd and of having crowd noise in, right. uh, in, in, in a stadium or in whatever places they're going to be, uh, they're going to be playing in in this COVID lockdown time. Right. So that is kind of my idea, which is maybe it's a combination of the surround sound, which I literally just saw as you were talking. Maybe it's a combination of multiple speaker, multi-hardware setup. And definitely there's a, there's a payments and privacy setup. So you, people don't try to Zoom bomb a publicly live television show with inappropriate content. But that's what I'm, I'm thinking in terms of can there be a product that does that? Gotcha. Interesting. But yes. Yeah. 
Did that will actually get me to go to a sports event if I don't have to physically go to a sports event. So there is something to being a part of a crowd. It is pretty cool. I remember like watching the national championship one year. Virtual uh, reality. Some type of stadium. And it is, there is something to, the, to being in the crowd. Virtual reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have anything for mixing the Kool-Aid? Uh, no, I think, I think we don't have any mixing the Kool-Aid this week. Oh my God, CEO of one of these, uh, these gig, uh, gig uh, economy companies. How oh, sure. Okay, so I think if I were to mix the Kool-Aid for Uber right now, it's uh, Uber, one of these Lyft companies. It would be, hey, uh, we, we are delivering essential medicines, essential services, essential things uh, to, the economy, uh, to the economy right now. We're further proving just how critical we are, not just as a, a human transport system, but uh, something, to the, something critical to the transport of, uh, of this entire nation. And coming out of this, we won't just be doing people-to-people transport anymore. We've opened up whole new business uh, ideas for us. And uh, we will be not only movers of people, we'll be movers of essential services. We'll be essential forever. Blah, blah, blah. Gotcha. I would love to hear mixing a Kool-Aid for, for, for Airbnb, but I don't, <laughs> think, I don't think you'll give me one. There's only so much, there's only so much I can put in this Kool-Aid jar. I'm pretty good at I'm pretty good at making and selling Kool Aid. I'm not. I don't think I can work miracles here. <laughs> oh my gosh! I probably right. also built it somewhere around the idea that uh, the trust and people. If I were to try to mix that Kool Aid, I'd probably say, "Hey, uh, these faceless corporations, these motels, people can't trust those. We know people take shortcuts in there. We know they don't provide the quality of service. You know what? People can trust other people." Their fellow humans. Yeah, I got nothing. I got nothing for this. With that, we end the show. Yeah. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. That's another episode of the Silicon Trail. Stay safe. We'll see you next week.